do this let's talk about the rock welcome back to wtm watch this movie good old Dwayne. i am eric Mulder. so he says wrecked him damn near killed him joining me today is mr wolfie t how are you sir a little bit lonely over here on the couch well i just feel that we're all made exactly the way we're supposed to be oh no hell no i'm a christian and you ain't gonna sit there and blame god for how you look okay I can just move my shoulders with how she talks. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to be joined by Jason today. We're doing yeah. his hand-picked movie. Yeah, although I was fully on board. You had not seen it when he wanted to do it. And I was uh, very close to just bowing out <laughs> and not even participating. But yeah, You didn't even really want to watch it. Is Michael, Michael Bay, oh, get this shit out of here. I don't want to watch Nicolas that. Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery, <laughs> like, ugh. <laughs> That's a trifecta that I'm a little wary of. <laughs> it was, uh, I was surprised at its quality. Yeah. But, well, uh, Criterion Collection doesn't just pick any movie, okay? I it think, picks some, the I think sometimes the they do. I think sometimes <laughs> they do. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen the full list of Criterion of the Criterion Collection, but I have a feeling that there's a couple duds on there. And for people who... I guess follow the Criterion Collection at all. It's a bit baffling that both The Rock and Armageddon were part of the Criterion Collection. However, I don't know if Criterion's embarrassed about it because those titles are not offered on Blu-ray. They're only on DVD. And I don't even know if you could buy it from their site now. I haven't looked. I don't know. I don't go seeking out Criterion Collection. Yeah. The only one I have is uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure that was the only one available at the time that I was looking for it. Yeah. Well, it's not a bad purchase. But Special features are phenomenal. solid. Yeah. It's and you get the best quality uh, video. It's one of my favorite movies, which is weird for somebody who doesn't do drugs or drink or anything <laughs> like that. I live vicariously through characters on TV <laughs> and in the movies. Yeah. So this is a uh, The Rock is a title from Michael Bay's filmography back when he was respectable, I guess. Was this uh, after the first Bad Boys? Was this the follow-up? yeah? Bad Boys was ninety five, so this is just a year after. We'll look to see what he did around that time. This is also produced by Jerry Brockheimer and Don Simpson. It was their last partnership because Don Simpson died not too long after this movie came out. I read that they were planning on it being the last one because Jerry didn't like Don's drug use. <laughs> and that was a bit of foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> because they didn't have a choice because of Don's drug use. Yeah, he died at age 52. 
And looking into it today, I forgot how much into drugs he really was. Because at first it was just like, oh, it was heart failure, you know, one of those things, 52, and you know, gone too soon. And come to find out that he had 21 or 22 different narcotics in his system at the time of death. That is a lot of drugs. And he was going through 15 doctors to get different types of prescription meds. I guess his habit was up to 60 grand a month in prescription medication. And he was doing a lot of coke. <laughs> but uh, yeah, him and Brockheimer were just producing hit after hit. Top Gun. God, they they started they started hot and ended hot with The Rock. Yeah, so uh, Bad Boys was his first... Michael Bay. Michael yeah. Bay's first full-length feature. The Rock was the second one. And then Armageddon was the third one. He was on fire in the 90s. But uh, I didn't realize how many fucking music videos he did. <laughs> He's got Aerosmith, Meatloaf. Uh, That's probably how he got Aerosmith to do Armageddon. Lionel Richie, Tina Turner, Wilson Phillips, Divinals. He did the Divinals I Touch Myself video. <laughs> You yeah. think you think he uh he did a couple Donny Osmond videos. I mean, I haven't watched those videos, but you think there's a lot of spinning, rotating camera <laughs> shots. Probably. Like slowly around the the solo artist. Great White, Winger, Young MC, Britney Fox, Chicago, uh, Faster Pussycat, a couple of Vanilla Ice ones. Mm. He did Playboy Carrie Kendall September 1990 video centerfold. Nice. Slaughter, Up All Night, Sticks, The Neville Brothers, Greg Allman. I mean, he directed a lot of hits. Yeah. A lot of big uh, music acts of the, the late 80s and early 90s. That it was. And then he... And then somebody's like, man, this guy should make movies. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I do like uh, Bad Boys 1 and 2. 2 is... Two is just kind of an enigma. It's just a good. It's a bad movie, but it's just a good time. It's a cheesy good time, a ridiculous good time. How about that? I haven't seen either of Michael Bay's movies. I've seen Armageddon and the first Transformers, and now The Rock. I don't think I've seen any of his other ones. Yeah, after Bad Boys Two, I kind of quit paying attention. I didn't really, you know, watch the Transformers movies. I hear once in a while, you know, I always hear, you know, that Pain and Gain is really good. You should check out Pain and Gain. You know, it's a oh, I didn't know cult he, movie. I didn't know he directed that one. That's yeah. the one where The Rock was doing steroids, right? Yeah. That based on a true story. I'm not sure of all the details. It might have been. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody has done something similar. Yeah, I hear that's like a sneaky good movie. And then he did that uh, 13 Hours not too long ago about Benghazi, John Krasinski oh, okay, and whatnot. Yeah. I heard that was at least average, if not like sneaky good as well, but I don't really care. So <laughs> it's it's hard to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. At this point. And all those stories about him being an asshole on like every set. <laughs> Pretty demanding director, but Which is hard to believe because it, it looks like he puts no effort into it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks effortless and not in a good way. Or over ever, like overproduced somewhat. That's true. With the, yeah, that's true too. The camera angles and the quick editing. And you got to yeah. have a lot of footage for that. And the slow-mo and all that stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That first Transformers movie, like they 
the big climactic battle goes on for about 40 minutes. The two <laughs> robots fight for about 40 minutes. I'm sure that's and exciting. After, and after about five, you're just like, Jesus, how long is this going to go? When is it going to end? Yeah. Like, I don't need this much robot fighting. But that's just me. <laughs> that's a lot of people. <laughs> but let's focus on The Rock here in his heyday, in his, in his prime from 96, starring Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage. You know, on the poster and in here, Sean Connery gets first billing. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I suppose he, would he been a bigger star at that point? I would think so. I mean, Cage had just won Best Actor the year before, and he was in a couple other things. But, yeah, I mean, he was in things in the 80s, you know? Yeah. I mean, not massive hits, but Moonstruck was 89, I want to say. And so he had done some things. Sean Connery, the biggest hit before then. I mean, yeah, he was all the James Bond movies, but the like recent to 96 would have been Hunt for Red October in 91, I believe. Well, Moonstruck was 87. 87. So was Raising Arizona. Mm-hmm. Honeymoon in Vegas was 92. 92? That's earlier than I thought it was. Yeah. I don't. I mean, you did It Could Happen to You in 94, Guarding Tests in 94, Leaving Las Vegas in 95, yeah. Kiss of Death in 95. Uh, Sean Connery had an uncredited cameo at the end of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and then he was in Medicine Man, Rising Sun with Wesley Snipes, uh, Just Cause, First Night with uh, Richard Gere, Dragonheart. That was just a voice, though, of course. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't, I don't know, maybe they just kind of gave it to him on the, you know, he was a star for decades yeah. versus, like, one decade for Nicolas Cage. It didn't, Cage didn't look like he had a lot of action movies in his resume. Yeah, this started it. It was, like, three years in a row because I believe Con Air was the year after and it was Face Off. Well, Sean Connery did Highlander 2, The Quickening, in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> that he did. So... Hunt for Red October was 1990, by the way. And Indiana Jones' Last Crusade, that yeah, that bears mentioning as well. And The Untouchables in 87. So. Mm-hmm. Which he won an Oscar for. So, I mean, he was uh, still pretty hot shit at that point. I know, I just still would have thought that they would have given first billing to Nicolas Cage since he's the main character. Right. Yeah. But... Fucking more bubbles again popping up. I don't know whether there's bubbles outside the studio window. People have bubbles. Well, <laughs> that's what kids do. They they play with bubbles. Just after a storm? It was a, it was a bit of a, a rain shower. It's a squall. <laughs> Sun's out now. It's probably already dry. All right. Well, back to the cast here. Uh, also starring Ed Harris. John Spencer, David Morrissey, William Forsyth, Michael Bean, John C. McGinley, Gregory uh, Sporeleader, Tony Todd, Joaquin Woodbine. Uh, who am I missing? Uh, or- Tuco was in there from Breaking Bad. Okay. He was uncredited, though. Uh, let me find it. There's also the guy that looked like Dean Cain. I think, uh, let me find his name here. Raymond Cruz is his name. 
He was uh, Tuco on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Okay. And I think he was the uh, he was in Training Day. He was the, the Have you ever had your shit pushed in? <laughs> I think he was that guy. Yeah. But I think in The Rock, he's the one with the man bun. Mm-hmm. Yep. He did that in. He was in Clear and Present Danger, which was in like '93. Um, I think he might have had a. Mm, I can't remember, but it seems like he's had a bun in multiple movies. He was way ahead of his time. That wasn't hot till like 2015. <laughs> yeah. Anthony Clark is Paul the Barber. <laughs> <laughs> he had a he had his own show on CBS for a while. He was pretty pretty big. Sure, shit. he did. Hello. You the barber? No, stylist. Barber. Just clippers, no scissors. No scissors. You've got to be kidding me. No scissors. I mean, did they tell Picasso no brush? Scissors, this man could kill you. I can't cut anyone's balls off with a trimmer now, can I? Remember the 90s when he could just put flamboyantly gay characters into movies for comic relief? Well, how would you know if they they weren't (laughs) so flamboyant? How would you know? Yeah, they have to make it a point. Well, it's Get too, a load of this gay guy in this scene. Well, yeah, it's it's just the the stereotype. He's a stylist. He's not a barber. He's a stylist. Stylist. <laughs> uh, Phil Baker Hall's also in there. He's uh, yep, Sergeant Bookman from Seinfeld, yeah. among s- way more like uh, prestigious roles than you would expect. Well, he's in pretty much every Paul Thomas Anderson movie. <laughs> yeah, like he's a, he's in a lot of. Uh, high quality movies and mm-hmm. big roles yeah all right i think that's enough for the cast storyline a mild-mannered chemist and ex-con must lead the counter-strike when a rogue group of military men led by a renegade general threaten a nerve gas attack from alcatraz against san francisco so just notice jim caviezel's on the cast too is he one of the uh he was uh seals Rear F-18 pilot. Okay. So he would have been one of the pilots at the the big conclusion. Mm-hmm. He later played Jesus. <laughs> After, oh, and Lunell, or Lunell, however you say her name, the the black tourist with the blonde okay, hair. Yeah, Borat's wife. She was, or, uh, yeah, she wife, was but, the hooker on Borat yeah. that tagged along. <laughs> and I thought about tagging that clip from her in the prison but i i was like eh it's just too quick yeah i would have brought my motherfucking gun (laughs) (laughs) i got a gun (laughs) poor ranger bob just getting shit from everybody yeah um i mean you just saw this for the first time a couple weeks ago but um i used to watch this on the regular growing up had this on vhs this was like one of my favorite action movies growing up one of my favorite movies about the whole 90s um, Nick Cage was just on fire after uh, leaving Las Vegas. So it starts out with Ed Harris plays General Hummel, General Francis X. Hummel. Mm-hmm. He was a bit perturbed about some secret missions he's been on with with people where they've been you know, caught behind enemy lines and um, they weren't allowed to kind of retrieve their fallen his fallen soldiers. Yeah. And then the government wouldn't recognize that they, they had died in the um, line of duty. Yeah. Everything's disavowed. Yeah. Like IMF. <laughs> uh, because they talk about these uh, Marine uh, recon 
And they talk about, oh, they do all these, you know, secret missions across the globe. And, yeah. I forget and, what the, the team was called, but they had a, yeah, they had a team of Marines that would go in and do secret, uh, like top mm-hmm. secret, you know, hush, hush, uh, missions and black places. bag operations yeah where they're not supposed to be although i think this movie takes a little liberty with that because well i mean marine recon there's some tough motherfuckers my best friend growing up uh he was in marine recon but i don't think he was absconding around the world on secret missions like you know blowing shit up and taking over governments and right. <laughs> doing whatever they kind of take liberty with certain things i mean like most movies you know it's just mm-hmm. a fun action movie they're not going to get the the military exactly correct here right all the specifics just like with the vx poison gas that we'll get to in a little bit you know they kind of exaggerate certain things take liberty you know make him a little more fun so uh one thing that i noticed uh in the opening is he goes to the uh the cemetery to put his uh the medal of honor or whatever on the on his wife's grave, on our tombstone. And the tombstone says, his wife, Barbara Hummel. And I thought, gee, that's awfully convenient for the story <laughs> that it said his wife on that tombstone. Wow. And I don't know if that's common for military tombstones for of uh, spouses. You think they had a plot was his next to hers, and obviously he I would imagine. It yet? I would imagine they'd have something mm-hmm. like that, but I thought, gee, that's... Nice that that tombstone's giving us some exposition. Yeah. So that I know that it's his wife who died. What do you think the Me Too me- movement is going to think of? Gravestone that just starts with his wife. <laughs> right. Barbara Hummel. <laughs> That's the only thing you need to know about her. <laughs> <laughs> She's a missus, damn it. Uh, good old 96. 22 years ago. Damn. We are getting old, Brett. Not really, but it's sad. It really is. Movie wise. Because, <laughs> you know, the celebrities, they get to do plastic surgery and they get personal trainers. And, yeah. You know, they can look the same age for 20. Look at Keanu Reeves. He hasn't aged since The Matrix. <laughs> well, Nicolas Cage is allegedly a vampire. <laughs> have you, have he even you played heard? one in Vampire's Kiss. Have you heard about that? <laughs> He's been alive since the 1800s, at <laughs> least. There was that one with, like, Civil War picture. Yeah. Is there, it's him. <laughs> it looks just like him. It must be him. Yeah, we suggest you look that up online. It's from, like, the 1850s or 1860s. I can't remember. Yeah, it's a very old photograph that happens to look quite a bit like Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> He's not doing bug eyes, though, so... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, General Hummel's upset about the government disavowing and kind of, I guess, forgetting the memory of his fallen men, and so he hatches a plan to hijack some VX poison gas rockets and hold the city of San Francisco hostage for what was a hundred million, something like that. I don't, yeah, I don't remember the exact amount. He wanted a a million for each of the guys that helped him, and then, um. The other money like, is supposed to go yeah, to the families. It was like eighty of the something million men. for for the families of the the guys that were left behind. Yeah. Uh, we got a lot of clips today. A lot of short ones though. Makes up for it. I mean, there's a lot of great Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery lines. So we try to get a few of those in there. Yeah. 
And a Nicholas Cage plays agent St- or special agent, excuse me, Stanley Goodspeed, who's a chemical weapons expert. And uh, he is also a Beatles maniac. Self-proclaimed. <laughs> you guys have too much time on your hands. Yes. She's here. Bring it to me now. Thank you, Phil. What's that? Why'd you get it sent here? Carla wouldn't approve. She thinks it's dumb to spend $600 on an LP. Carla's right. Why don't you just spend $13 on a CD, man? Well, first of all, it's because I'm a Beatle maniac. And second, these sound better. Yeah, his buddy there is uh, Todd Luz- Luiso? Luio? I don't know. It's Louis with an O. <laughs> but he was in a bunch of stuff in the 90s. He was, in, he was the, the friend in High Fidelity. He was in Jerry Maguire. He was the nanny. He was the somewhat comic relief in the uh, some ni- bunch of 90s movies. Yeah. So... Uh- I actually Googled, apparently the the vinyl he got was Meet the Beatles. And uh, I'm seeing some some vinyl copies of that are, are pretty pricey. There's yeah. a couple like $1,200, $400. But then there's one for like $2,864. <laughs> probably a new one. So, Well, they're all listed as used, so I don't know. But I thought this was an interesting scene because... They make it a point to say he's a Beatles maniac mm-hmm. and he loves vinyl. Yeah. And he's like, yes, I got it in. I can't wait to listen to this. <laughs> and they don't play the Beatles for the entire movie. <laughs> he even goes home and starts listening to music and he's not listening to the new Beatles album. He just got. Mm-hmm. Although it is a song written by the Beatles, correct? Yeah, it's uh, In a World Without Love which was uh, apparently written by Lennon and McCartney, but mm-hmm. performed by, uh, recorded by uh, Peter and Gordon, okay. I believe it was. Yeah, because they, um, him and his partner kind of solve a tricky situation at the office when they were looking at some, it was like a crate from customs that got flagged and they find a, a bomb that's in there. Yeah, it was uh, like a care package. Going from like what Serbia to Bosnia, <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> and he's like, that. like that. Don't add up. They don't like each other. That can't <laughs> this is be ninety six. But that uh, who they, they put that rookie in there with them. They had like a like a glass chamber where they were inspecting the the package, mm-hmm. and it was Nicholas. It was uh, Stanley Goodspeed who was, you know, seasoned and yep. smart and all that shit. And then they put a rookie in there who's just fucking goofing off, mm-hmm. and he sets off the gas. It's sarin gas, right? Yeah. Which is like, a, they do a bit of a foreshadowing because they want um, that both of the guys inside of the chamber to inject themselves in the heart with a very long syringe. Yes. To It was like an antidote against the sarin gas, and then defuse the bomb. Nicholas Cage does it anyways, just yeah. in the nick of time. Apparently, anytime you come in the contact with like chemical weapons or like gas, you just stab yourself in the heart with a big <laughs> syringe with a mysterious serum inside that'll, you know, yeah. it's like an antidote. Apparently, the um, that's the, the catch all. Uh, the the skin melting was a uh, taking liberties, I guess, <laughs> if you t- if you, you want to say it like that. They they kind of stretch the truth on that for the VX ability. gas for both yeah. Sarah oh, okay. and VX. Um, 
But yeah, that rookie's in there. Well, then the the sprinklers don't work. Why the fuck don't the sprinklers work? Yeah. It's a rink- flow problem. What kind of <laughs> rinky-dink outfit is this? Um, although, you know, that stabbing in the heart, you know, this is two years after Pulp Fiction, so stabbing in the heart was all the rage. That was hot shit back then. And also, it's worth mentioning that Mr. Tarantino himself was one of the many script doctors for this movie, uncredited. Yeah. Apparently you have to do like over 50% of the script to get credit. And a lot of people do, this is very common. And then even now people will go in and maybe just doctor up the dialogue. Like they'll bring in different people to work on different things within a script. Mm. And like another person who worked on the rock was Aaron Sorkin. And it's not like Tarantino was banging on the door. Like I want credit for the rock, you know? Yeah. I believe he also worked on Crimson Tide a few other movies in the 90s. Okay. But he just kind of helped out, you know, with the dialogue a little bit, which we'll get to later. I, there's a line we have in there that I think is just straight Tarantino. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so let's meet uh, Stanley. This is Stanley Goodspeed at home right after what you talked about. He's listening to that song that's not the Beatles. Right. And his girlfriend comes home with some news. It actually, the song fits the scene surprisingly well. Yeah. Hey, Dawn. Hi, baby. I had such an interesting day today. Yeah, I had kind of an interesting day myself. Oh, okay. You go first. Well, just some terrorists decided to send a little care package, box of goodies, which had to be neutralized before blowing up the office. So I took the rest of the day off. Glass of wine, little guitar. Just relaxing. Wow. I mean it, honey. The world is being fenexed to hell on a handcart. I really believe that anyone who's even thinking about having a child in this world is coldly considering an act of cruelty. I know. I'm rambling. I'm complaining. I'm sorry. What's your news, baby? I'm pregnant. I'm sorry? I'm pregnant. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Is that all you're going to say is wow? You're pregnant? Three weeks. How do you know? I mean, how how do you know? (laughs) Blue. Just turned blue, so I went to the doctor. We didn't mean what you just said, did you? When? Just right now, when you were talking about bringing a child into the world and having it be an act of cruelty. I meant it at the time. Stanley, at the time, you said it seven and a half seconds ago. Well... Gosh, kind of a lot's happened since then. Look, we're not even married. I know, it's funny you should mention that. It's funny. Do you love me? Of course I love you. Good. Will you marry me? Whoa, whoa, hey, marriage police, pull over. Come on, Stanley, I'm proposing to you right now. It's, marriage please pull over it should be noticed that uh <laughs> it should be noted that uh nicholas cage is completely naked and he's just being covered <clears throat> only being covered by his guitar <laughs> well do we know that he wasn't wearing like boxers uh well you couldn't tell for sure but uh, i'd probably guess that he's not <laughs> But why wouldn't he be listening to that Beatles LP? He made such a big deal about it. Did he leave it at the office? <laughs> He's in such a rush to leave after almost dying. 
I guess. Um, I also, when I was reading about this, um, about the, the script and all the, the various writers that were involved, apparently Nicolas Cage had some input as well, and he thought it would be better if his character didn't curse. Yeah. So I, I kind of noticed that watching this again with that in mind, like, yeah, he doesn't curse. And like, what, do you, what would he say? We cut the chit-chat a-hole. That's the closest <laughs> like he comes to cursing. I think he, I, I remember him swearing once or twice, but I think yeah. I read it was only at the end, like when he was killing the the Marines at the end. He does, well, how, how do you like how that shit works? He says that to yeah. Tony Todd. But I think that's... Gosh, lots happens since then. <laughs> when he gets, uh, <laughs> yeah, when uh, Mason breaks him out of the, when they're, you know, in the Alcatraz jails. Yeah. He's like, how in the hell in Zeus's butthole <laughs> did you get out of your cell? <laughs> so I guess butthole is close, but still not a curse. Not he says quite. hell, I guess. But yeah, pretty funny. He is uh, kind of a nerdy chemical weapons expert. Well, geez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says gee whiz once or twice. Yeah. That was pretty funny. All right, let's meet Alcatraz Bob. Can I mention that security on Alcatraz sucks? <laughs> <laughs> like They're taking a break. There's just tours. <laughs> what are they supposed to, you know, it's not like they have money there. Who's going to rob Alcatraz? I, I guess terror wasn't a concern in 1996, <laughs> so they didn't do any kind of... Uh, metal detectors or pat yeah. downs or wands or what anything for well, i mean there's nothing weapons. there you can't take anything everything's just a like a concrete wall i guess that's true like brick and there's no money no logical person would want to attack an alcatraz <laughs> plus they only, fortified. they only had 81 uh hostages too so it's like well that's not even worth blowing up <laughs> if you're a terrorist yeah so Ranger Bob's given a tour. General Hummel and his men descend upon Alcatraz. How about that uh, that uniform on Ranger Bob? No, something pretty tight on him. Yeah, pretty tight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Broadway. This cell block housed the most awesome scum in America. Ladies and gentlemen, I, Ranger Bob, cordially invite you to become inmates of Alcatraz. Temporarily, of course. <laughs> On the line! Pretty tight quarters, aren't they, huh? Like being a caged animal. Spend a couple of years in there. Well, what's the matter, fellas? Someone with the tour? Tour's over, Bob. Now, do you think they normally would close the doors? Of the cells on the tourists? Yeah, I don't know. Is that normal part of the That's probably tour? just convenient for the plot. Because they're going to put him in there anyways. Pretty tight quarters, like being a caged animal. <laughs> like, Jesus, Bob. Take it down a notch. <laughs> hey, it's showmanship. You got to go out and get him. He right? just worked for the parks department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all got their Ranger Rick uniforms on, <laughs> right. the green uniforms. His, his socks don't even stay up. Yeah, he needs some sock garters. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ed Harris and all his Marines are there. And then they change into their fatigues somehow. I don't know where mm. they had those stashed at, or if they maybe the other guys, maybe the other guys showed up with them. But I I, know, I noticed that the second time I watched, I'm like, well, they show up in regular clothes. They don't appear to be uh, armed or anything mm-hmm. like that. 
other than maybe like pistols. Like uh, Bokeem had a pistol, but uh, did they have like a helicopter land, something like that, or that or a, a boat, boat? Because they in? have to bring in fourteen rockets <laughs> and you know automatic weapons, and and then those two guys that he had never worked with before showed up, uh, Tony Todd and the other guy, mm-hmm. the the little white dude. Yeah, but uh, they were already changed by the time those guys showed up. So yeah, they must have stashed them somewhere because you can't. Do missions in your regular civilian clothes. Sure can't. And I don't think they were trying to hide, though, but the camo didn't help. All right, here's uh, here's Ed Harris and what's going on in his head. Here's his plan. Attention on deck! Stand easy, man. Make no mistake about it, gentlemen. We are now in harm's way. For Major Baxter and I, this is the last campaign in a career dating back to Tet 68. Likewise for Captain Hendricks, Gunnery Sergeant Crisp, who cut their teeth under my command in Desert Storm. Captain Fry, Captain Darrow, this is my first operational situation with you and your men, and I have to say thus far your conduct reflects your reputations. Thank you, General. Thank you, sir. We have achieved our position through poise, precision, and audacity. To this we must now add resolve. We'll be branded as traitors. Gravest capital crime, punishable by death. A couple hundred years ago, a few guys named Washington, Jefferson, and Adams were branded as traitors by the British. And now they're called patriots. In time, so shall we. God willing, in less than 48 hours, you will evacuate this island in gunships under cover of hostages and VX gas warheads. Your destination? a non-extradition treaty country. You will each be paid a fee of $1 million for services rendered. But you can never again set foot on your native soil. Can you live with that? Yes, sir! The men of Marine Force Recon are selected to carry out illegal operations throughout the world. When they don't come home, their families are told fairy tales about what happened to them and denied compensation. Well, I have choked on these lies my entire career. Well, here and now, the lies stop. God be with all of you. Man your positions, man. Yeah, he means business. Sure does. Aaron Sorkin, we mentioned earlier, he's also obviously very well known for his work with dialogue and scripts. And yeah, I think the dialogue is really great in here. It's a lot of back and forth, a lot of quick dialogue. Mm-hmm. This, I think, was probably my introduction to Ed Harris when I saw it when I was like 10. Can't think of anything else I would have seen him in before this. But yeah, Ed Harris, the whole cast is great. Dialogue's great. Very snappy um, with the editing as well. It's very fast-paced. Um, one of the reasons uh, we were talking about it, why it was... Selected for the Criterion Collection, Roger Ebert loved this movie. Three and a half out of four stars. Damn. Roger Ebert. Loved it. <laughs> loved the pace. You know, fun awesome. action movie, you know? And it is, you know, it's two hours and 16 minutes, I think, is like the Fair full runtime. Yeah. You know, like two hours, 10 minutes without credits. But it moves pretty quick. Hmm. So I, I noticed, and you could kind of hear it in that clip, the music score is so over the top dramatic. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's like 
in every scene almost. Yeah. <laughs> like even like the most mundane things have this just like like patriotic themed score. A little bit, but it's like it seems super dramatic. Yeah. I really noticed that the second time watching it too, but like that one, it's got it, but it's a little more toned down. But there are other scenes where it's just like, just full on, hundred percent, just like we got to make this as dramatic as possible. If you want a visual metaphor for the score, you can look no further than William Forsythe, who is overly dramatic, like the entire movie. I love William Forsythe, and it's pretty great in here. But yeah, he's like the most. <laughs> serious guy kind of character in this whole movie right it's pretty funny well, i think the fbi di- director is up there too yeah but he's kind of a, a bit of a clown a little bit but yeah he's just he had to cancel his dinner reservation <laughs> it's a call at seven forty p.m and he's oh, got his tuxedo on gotta go to the war room <laughs> While all of this is going on, this is what Nicolas Cage is doing with his girlfriend. Peach sorbet persuasion. Nutty. <laughs> Great Nick Cage lines and acting in here. And there was they you didn't hear it there, but he was uh, they were listening to Rocket Man by, <laughs> by Elton John. More during, foreshadowing, during scene. more foreshadowing, and more <laughs> wondering why he's not listening to the Beatles. <laughs> he just spent six hundred dollars on that LP. <laughs> I would think that would be the first thing you do when you get home. <laughs> Maybe he listened to it already, and then by the time she got home with her pregnancy yeah. news, he was on to the next one. Well, he did say she would not be happy about it. Spending six hundred dollars on it could be maybe that's an office thing. <laughs> he's just got a player at the office. To yeah, to maybe. Him. I mean, he definitely has time at the office. When they were fucking <laughs> the, around in the beginning, that playing contraption with like, they, that Rube Goldberg. They had like a, a giant game of mouse trap set up in the office. <laughs> that was triggered by shooting Nerf darts at it. <laughs> so Hummel calls the, I don't know, almost like the White House Situation Room. And informs them of, of their plans. And uh, this is a clip from, I guess, the war room as they discuss VX poison gas. It was nice of him to, to have a camera there so he could give them a visual, too. Yeah, he wants to, you know, give the full effect. All right. We have to identify the hostages and contact each of their families. Uh, tell them something, make up a story, and we've got to keep this undercover. If this comes out, the city of San Francisco will be in chaos. I am talking anarchy. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What is the potential casualty rate for a single rocket armed with VX poison gas, General Peterson? 60 or 70. Well, that's, that's not so bad. 1,000. 70,000 dead. One teaspoon of this hits the floor. It's lethal up to 100 feet. One teaspoon of this shit detonated in the atmosphere will kill every living organism in an eight-block radius. Get the point? What did Hummel mean by your countermeasure, General? Standard poison is counted by napalm. It burns it up, consumes it upon detonation. Now, the problem with VX poison gas is that it's designed specifically to withstand napalm. That's where uh, thermite plasma comes in, General Peterson. 
Thermite plasma incendiary systems can burn hot enough to consume VX, but they're still in the test phase. It's not operational. Hummel knows this. We are dealing with one smart son of a bitch. What's it going to take to equip a flight of F-18s with thermite plasma within the next 36 hours? An act of God. Excuse me. All right, we can try. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, that guy, he's the uh, villain from Lethal Weapon 3. You should check that out. Is he? <laughs> yeah. He seems really nonchalant. The, yeah. <laughs> the general guy, was he a general? I forget. But, one uh, of them. The mil the guy in the military uniform. Mm-hmm, that's him. Who yeah. is uh, Hummel's friend or whatever. Legend would be more accurate. <laughs> that guy was so nonchalant about everything. He yeah. take his glasses. Hey, Frank, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's got people in jail cells up you know, there, right? <laughs> we got a lot of worried people around here, Frank. <laughs> At least they didn't call him Francis. Right. Um, that one dude was a dick, though. Slokes your 70. <laughs> well, that's not so bad. Thousand. <laughs> just totally slow plays it. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of... They're informing the entire room of what this is. Yeah. So they kind of act like like this is the only guy that's questioning it. Oh, like 60, 70? That's not bad. Yeah. Thousand. Well, like he's uh, just supposed to know it. The White House chief, chief of staff just got shit on so much. <laughs> like, How old are you? 33? I was in China when you were nine years old. <laughs> we never went to China. Oh, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, he really took a beating in there. <laughs> he really gave it to me in there. <laughs> uh, so Bookman, they 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 got to get in there to Alcatraz. Yeah, but they got to get their, you know, their and they best chemical weapons expert, which is Stanley Goodspeed. And they need somebody who knows the the work, the inner workings of Alcatraz prison so they can sneak in there. So apparently they have James Bond in some secret prison <laughs> somewhere yeah. wasting away. There's only one man for the job. <laughs> and it's one of those no, absolutely not him. Anybody but him. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, there is a, a fun little like, I don't know, fan theory. It's more of a joke than anything that, you know, Sean Connery is playing James Bond in here, and then he has been he was in Alcatraz and has been rotting away in a prison of ours because he has all of our most intimate secrets right. as a spy would. But um, as you'll hear in a clip later, I can't remember if you hear it in the clip or not, but when he's talking to General Hummel later, he talked about how he was in the Army, not the Navy. James Bond was in the Navy, so Commander Bond, he is not. But yeah, uh, they send in Stanley Goodspeed to interrogate this master criminal, <laughs> it's yeah. an escape artist, well, spy. Well, Forsyth goes in there first, and he, he plays bad. He does the bad cop routine, <laughs> yeah. and then uh, he's like, "That's it, lock him up, put him back." And they're like, "Well, we don't need your help," type of thing. Well, it's gonna. What are you, what are you gonna do? Like, we're gonna wait him out. Like, dude, you got like twenty four hours. <laughs> so they're like, fucking send Goodspeed in there. Maybe he could change his mind. So uh, here's that clip. I'm an agent with the uh, federal FBI. Uh, well, my, I'm Stanley Goodspeed. But of course you are. Well, at least he got his name right. Of course I am. And you have an emergency. That's right. And you need my help. 
Exactly right. Coffee. No, no, I'm fine, thank you. Offer me coffee. Oh, yes. Well, that was, in fact, going to be my next... Can we get a cup of coffee in here, please? Offer to take these off. Mr. Mason, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gesture of your good faith. Well, I guess that's one way to go. This is a pardon and release contract from the Attorney General's office. Now, it makes you a free man, provided you cooperate. So if you'll just uh, sign uh, at, uh, where it says... Signature. That's, yes, signature. Temiodenes Dona Ferentus. I fear the Greeks, even when they bring gifts. Educated man. That rules out the possibility of you being a field agent. In point of fact, I am a field agent, Mr. Mason. Really? Yes. In which field? Anti-terrorism. Then you're trained in weaponry, explosives, and mortal combat. Well trained. Then it's the Fairmont Hotel. A suite, a shower, a shave, and the feel of a suit. May I also suggest uh, a haircut? Am I out of style? Unless you're a 20 year old guitarist from Seattle. It's a grunge thing. Grunge? Yeah, well, uh, okay. Thank you very much. All right. Call the Fairmont. Close the floor if necessary, but I want him sealed off and he gets two hours max. He's got that grunge thing going with his hair. Yeah. Well, it's some kind of thing. Because <laughs> yeah, that's, that's... As the stylist would say. Yeah, the stylist, uh, he takes care of that. Um, also, even, though, even though he can't use scissors. Yeah. And he can't believe who did that to him in the first place. Mm-hmm. This is right after uh, <laughs> um, Sean Connery has a little singing cameo in the shower. Play that little clip. If you're going to... San Francisco, don't forget to wear flowers in your hair. If you're going to San Francisco, you're sure to meet some gentle people there. And you come for, if you're going to San Francisco, room service. This is the penthouse. Snacks, yeah, he distracts all the agents around the hotel room with a bunch of food that he orders. So when he's getting his hair cut, he can try and make his yeah. escape. He orders all the food. <laughs> yeah. Um, he ends up throwing Womack over the ledge, tied to his, his wrist with a rope, and he ties him off to the railing. Where did he get the rope from? Did, did you catch that? It was from the, the soap on a rope in the shower. He had pulled the rope out of that <laughs> okay. and cut it off and then kind of like held it in his hand. It's a long-ass rope. Yeah. I don't think that's going to help you if you drop the soap. <laughs> it's still going to hit the ground. Um, it was like a retractable thing that went all the way up. Because it was up like it was like eye level that he was pulling the rope out of. Okay. I didn't uh, I didn't notice that. I but, just, yeah. They're just like, where the fuck did you get that rope from? Yeah. 
But him singing was pretty hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, <laughs> he knew he knew all the words. <laughs> that he did. His timing was a little off, but Yeah. Um so yeah, when he ties Womack to the railing, he makes his escape in a downstairs in a Hummer that he steals. They, they call it a Humvee because mm-hmm. Hummer wasn't a, a big thing until a little bit later. Mm-hmm. It was uh, more of a military vehicle. Yeah, and only bigwigs could afford one. Mm-hmm. That must have been a hell of a, a hotel because they had a Hummer there and a Ferrari. Mm-hmm. It's what Nick Cage steals pretty much. Commandeers. Yep. <laughs> Commandeers it as a member of the law enforcement community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like one of Jason's favorite lines was when that biker dude is like, man, you just fucked up your Ferrari. Right. It's like, it's not mine. Yeah, Jason couldn't make it. He had something come up, but he wanted the show to go on, and that's what we're doing. So no we, thanks to him. We miss you, Jason, and we'll see you next time. Probably well, not. We probably won't. Not next week, because it's just be Jones and I. But that movie's too old for him, that <laughs> next one. Easy Rider, 69. Well, maybe it's too old for you. You don't like it either. <laughs> you and Jason are on the same page on this, although Jason hasn't seen it. I watched it a long time ago, but I don't think watching it again would help. Yeah. I don't know. But anyways, the the Hummer and Ferrari car chase was a hell of a, hell of a scene. Yeah, a lot of great action in this movie. Some he, great set pieces. He ran that Humvee into everything. <laughs> of course, it had. The, it was the '90s, so there had to be a huge truck full of like. Um, it was like a Culligan truck, <laughs> yeah. just a bunch of water. There, and then there's a couple cars that just blow up because you touched <laughs> them. <Yeah. laughs> In San Francisco, so you got to get the streetcars involved. Yeah, and that streetcar operator was not happy about it. <laughs> that motherfucker ain't safe nowhere. <laughs> That's hilarious. Save yourselves! Save yourselves! <laughs> uh, this movie's a lot of fun, folks. That, Revisit it. This streetcar blew up pretty good, too. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that thing launched in the air. And then it just rolled and rolled and <laughs> rolled. Just kept sliding. And, uh, yeah, that was a great scene. That uh, Sean Connery drove that Humvee like I do on GTA. <laughs> one of them un- indestructible hummers yeah and just be wrecking people just running <laughs> people off the road yeah <laughs> you don't even slow down they see he's going 70 down them hills yeah <laughs> which i don't know if he was but that would be something yeah of course good speed catches up to him eventually while he was trying to introduce himself to his daughter who he's never really met because he's been in jail all, all her life jade was her name Oh, I, I, one thing I wanted to mention was uh, in that chase, he hits the streetcar because there's an old lady with a walker or a cane trying to cross <laughs> the street. Yep. <laughs> Just bad timing, old lady. There's a lot of that going on in the 90s, too. Speed. A, remember Speed with the stunt granny. Lady with the stroller, but it was full of cans because <laughs> there's a homeless person collecting cans with an old stroller. Oh, my. Sandra Bullock thought she hit a kid. <laughs> can't raise it cans cans it's just cans <laughs> but yeah that i don't think she was an actual lady it was uh not very well costume <laughs> stunt 
person. <laughs> yeah, not the best disguise. <laughs> just like she just starts out there I'm like, oh shit, this this can't be good. But so uh, yeah, then it's uh it's time to head to Alcatraz. So they assemble the team with Michael Bean as the leader. He's another great guy who likes to chew the scenery. Mm-hmm. He was kind of on a hiatus because he was in a lot of stuff in the 80s, you know, uh, Terminator and Aliens, things like that. And he shows up again here, chewing up some more scenery. Him and the Dean Kane look alike. He doesn't last very long. Yeah, none of them do. <laughs> <laughs> I like on the the helicopter ride over there, um, is it Mason says to uh, to Goodspeed, Make sure you don't get us all fucking killed. <laughs> <laughs> and and pretty quickly, all of them get fucking killed. Yeah. Except for Mason and Goodspeed. Because originally, Goodspeed didn't think he was going. And like, well, you're the expert. We need you there. Type yeah. of thing. And like the whole way over in the helicopter ride, I think he's doing like nervous twitching and stuff like that. Mason's yeah. like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> not instilling a lot of confidence and everything. Then uh, Carla shows up and she's like, "He doesn't. He's not even a good swimmer. He can't even snorkel." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make him go diving. Mm-hmm. Go scuba, With the seals, go scuba diving. He made it. He had no sea air and land, dude. They're <laughs> everywhere. So yeah, after uh, Mason gains access to the rock through an old like furnace room where he had memorize the timing of all these different flames and yeah like uh gears that were kind of how do you describe it like it's almost like gears in a clock that were kind of but cutting was, off and opening like a up gap there yeah yeah they were kind of it looked, he had to time it right he wasn't just worried about the flames he was also could have been crushed by these like turning metal gears it's like one of them video game levels where you're like this don't exist in real life mm-hmm <laughs> Or like a Super Mario Brothers. Yep. Where it's like the flame shoots up, you know, every two seconds or whatever. Yeah. And you got to go through and then stop and then wait for the next one and then go through and stop and wait for the next one. Yeah. So he does that, opens up the door and says, welcome to The Rock for like the fourth time in the movie. Can we talk about how much I hate (laughs) that they call it The Rock? See, I don't mind that they call it The Rock because that is the nickname of, that's what it was known as. But I... They only call it Alcatraz like once or twice, <laughs> and they call it the Rock. The the rest, like everybody, calls it the Rock. And like, Cause the Rock is way more baller, and it's the title of the movie. Like, I get it's the title of the movie, <laughs> but you, you beat it to death. <laughs> you beat it to death, Michael Bay. Yeah, I guess they do say the name of the movie <laughs> multiple, multiple times in here. And I, I find it hard to believe that some of those guys would just be calling it the Rock. Like they're not even from the area, they don't have any connection to it. I would think you'd be more inclined to call it Alcatraz because you don't have a lot of connection or experience with the island, and you probably won't be as familiar with its nicknames. Yeah. Well, <laughs> send a letter to Michael Bay. I could see if Ranger Bob would say <laughs> The Rock once or twice, but even Ranger Bob, I would think he'd say Alcatraz more than The Rock. Mm-hmm. So welcome they- to Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan Lane is the tour guide. <laughs> Very theatrical with his green getup. Yeah. Very much so. So they kind of infiltrate Alcatraz through the shower room that the terrorists, if you want to call them that, 
Yeah. Patriots, maybe? <laughs> Marines. Yeah. The Marines. Uh, Marines had set up a kind of a booby trap motion sensor. So they knew they were coming, and they ambushed them there. Yeah, and General Hummel and Michael Bean chew the scenery together for about a couple of minutes, you know, kind of dick measuring and patriotism <laughs> right. measuring. And uh, a rock, like a part of the brick or like stone, falls yeah. off of a wall and lands, and it sounds like a gunshot, so everyone just starts firing. Right. And the SEALs are done for Yeah, the, pretty much instantly. The Marines have the high ground. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's just like shooting fish in a barrel. Yep. And then there was one Navy SEAL that... Dean Kane ...stayed down <laughs> in the sewers with with Mason and Goodspeed. He's like, I got to get in on this. <laughs> this sounds important. And uh, he dies immediately. Yep. So then it's just Goodspeed and Mason. Yep. And... Uh, <laughs> immediately mason's like all right i'm, I'm fucking leaving <laughs> yeah, fuck this <laughs> but mason kind of describes that well you know i lied i'm not a field agent i'm a chemical weapons expert and explains that uh yeah the guys up there upstairs have uh you know vx poison gas aimed at san francisco which mason's daughter lives mm-hmm. along with good speeds well, i guess his his fiance yeah who came there is visiting because yeah. she hung up on him mm-hmm. and she's pregnant and she's a little bitchy about him trying to keep her in DC or wherever they were were they in DC I can't remember where they were they were, they they were, were in New York or something I don't know yeah I don't know anyways this uh, kind of convinces Mason to stay and. Uh, well, that and the fact that he's old and he can't, he can't <laughs> swim the channel anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, uh, last time I swam this channel, I was your age. Right. I think he says at the end because he thinks about leaving again at the end. Yeah. He's like, eh, Hummel won't do it. doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> um, but yeah, they have a little pep talk here that uh, I believe if this isn't Tarantino's dialogue, I don't know what is. So here's a clip. You sure you're ready for this? I'll do my best. Your best? Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Carla was the prom queen. Really? Yeah. Such a badass line. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. I'm sure that's Tarantino. I think Tarantino wrote that uh, interrogation room scene, too, with uh, Goodspeed's first meeting with Mason, mm-hmm. where he's trying to convince him to come help. Yeah. That seemed like a Tarantino s- scene. Well, I'm Stanley Goodspeed. But of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> of course I am, yes. <laughs> and the, uh, the coffee thing, too. Yep. I would think that the scene earlier, I think we, we played the clip... When Hummel is explaining to his men what's going on, and uh, he goes back and forth with, with uh, a couple of them a few times, you know, like yeah. uh, your conduct thus far has, what does he say? Your conduct has held up your reputation. That something yeah. like that. That sounds like an Aaron Sorkin kind of thing because it's really quick and it's really back and forth, really mm-hmm. tight. So I think you can kind of tell a break in the dialogue, whereas. This is more colorful dialogue than the interrogation scene is. You know, it's right. given a little time to breathe, which Tarantino likes to do. 
mm. and make it more kind of grounded in reality, more like conversation people can relate to. Yeah. Like, uh, I could see myself saying something like that. Like less forced exposition and more just bullshit. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not bullshit, bullshit, but, but casual more re- more conversation. Realism, more realistic. Yeah. I did read, too, there was a couple guys that Connery brought in to uh, tinker his dialogue, and they said it ended up being, like, a, they rewrote a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what the guy's names are, but I can take a look. Yeah, I can see that. So Mason and Goodspeed proceed to try and find all the rockets and disable them, um, which they do pretty successfully for a while. Um, they're met with some resistance, and they're found out a couple of different times. They have a couple of different fights, and they end up getting captured. But, well, technically, they split up, and Mason turns himself in because Hummel has one of the hostages, and he's speaking over the PA system, and he's threatening yeah. to shoot one of the... My name's Larry Henderson, <laughs> okay, and he's his got a gun to my head. So I, I found uh, hey, three children, Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenois. Frenet? I don't know. F R E N A I S were the ones who uh, did rewrites of Connery's dialogue. Okay. Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenois. <laughs> I think that's how the French say it. I'm sure they do. <laughs> um, so Mason gives himself up while. Goodspeed's trying to get as many rockets as he can. Yeah. And I have a part of the conversation between Mason and Hummel, and it's pretty great. Do they bother to tell you who I am, why I'm doing this, or are they just using you like they do everybody else? All I know is you were big in Vietnam. I saw the highlights on television. And you wouldn't have any fucking idea what it means to lead some of the finest men on God's earth into battle and then see their memory betrayed by their own fucking government. I don't quite see how you cherish the memory of the dead by killing another million and uh, this is not combat it's an act of lunacy general sir personally i think you're a fucking idiot sean connery is just such a badass in here so blunt he has like you know a few different guns drawn on him he's, he's pretty ballsy though I mean, yeah to call him a fucking idiot the guy's <laughs> <laughs> surrounded by armed marines <laughs> Plus, plus Larry Henderson is there on his knees with a gun to his head. Yeah. Just gives zero fucks. Yeah. <laughs> He's fresh out. My name is Larry Henderson. <laughs> um, it's not nice to make fun of him because I'm sure he'd probably be, be shitting your pants in the same situation. Yeah. Of course, you know, Mason read his eyes. That's how he could tell that Hummel wasn't going to do it. Yeah. He doesn't have it in him. But, uh, yeah, while this is going on, Goodspeed gets captured, and they're both put in these jail cells. They put them on, I noticed they they were on different levels. Yep. But for some reason, Goodspeed just empty jail cell, and Mason coincidentally gets in one with a bed with bedding, with sheets, bed sheets on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a bad call by the Marines yep. to give him... Well, I'm sure they didn't uh, know he was an escape expert. They shouldn't have given him any linens. Yeah. Why wouldn't they put him 
Just put them together or put them in uh, another cell that's empty. I don't know. Maybe they don't want them working together as much. Or side by side instead of one on top of the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But but yeah, he fashions a basically a long rope with a, it was like a lock, like a padlock. Yeah, where did he get that? It. Yeah. He was just sitting there. I can't, I don't know where he got it, but he's pretty resourceful. And that, that always seemed like it was a closed down part of the prison. Yeah, I'm it was not sure a, they I think it was a different all of it. It was a different uh cell block than where the tourists were. Which come to think of it, didn't they announce last year that they're not doing tours on Alcatraz anymore? I don't think you can tour it anymore. Which pisses yeah, me off. Yeah, I think it's uh yeah. I think that's right. So what the fuck? Now if I if I took a little dinghy out there, I'd be trespassing and they can arrest me. But it's heavily fortified, they'd have to come and get me. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. I don't know if your dinghy would survive it. <laughs> Isn't that the whole point? The channel, those those rough waters. Yeah. People swim that all the time now. Do they? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Uh, well, fuck, there's a guy swimming aclo- across the Atlantic right now. I, th- I think I, I've heard that. Uh, or the Pacific. I know he's already swam one of them. He's doing yeah. one and vice versa or whatever. Well, the Atlantic's smaller, so I assume he would have done that one. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure uh, I've heard that Nick Diaz, the MMA fighter, pretty much just swims that Alcatraz <laughs> route like for fun. Like he yeah. does it on the regular because he does triathlons and shit. Mm-hmm. But we gotta wait for the tide to be right. Like, Mason says. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's uh, lived up to its reputation in recent years because mm-hmm. obviously people are doing it for fun. Yeah, it's uh. That's probably why they shut it down. But, uh, yeah, they escape pretty quickly, and that's when Mason thinks, like, ah, Hummel's not going to do it. <laughs> He's yeah. a soldier, not a murderer. Fuck it. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, obviously, Goodspeed can't stop him because he's a, a bit of a bitch. <laughs> a little bit. Mason's yeah. just too much of a badass. But then he has a little, you know, like he said, he couldn't swim it, and he has a little attack of conscience. So he comes back to help him out because good speed already. Some guy had the drop at him already. Yeah. So Mason comes, bails him out. Then they proceed to separate, try and get more rockets. And that's when uh, the deadline comes up. Yeah, the deadline comes up. They run out of time and Hummel's, uh, they call his bluff of whether or not he's going to launch a rocket Mm -hmm. like he said he was. So they, they launch a rocket, but at the last second, Hummel changes the coordinates. Yeah. Has it splashed down in the bay. They were going to drop it on Candlestick Park, which would have been an improvement on that <laughs> piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it God. obviously happened on a Sunday because the, the 49ers were in town. <laughs> Didn't bother to clear that out. I know. I hear that was it's better than their new stadium because that one just, everyone just cooks in the sun. I tell <laughs> you, there's, you know, there's no... There's no cover and it gets like, you know, 90 to 100 degrees. People just sitting there. True. Plus when they open it up, everyone's complaining about how hot it is. Plus it's like 40 miles away from San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 49ers fans, don't add us, okay? <laughs> or do. Or do. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> At All least right. your team stayed in the area. Yeah, I guess. That, that other Bay. He stayed in the same state. That Bay Area <laughs> team across the way is uh, <laughs> heading out. But So, yeah, they sneak into, I guess, one of the main parts of the 
prison where Hummel and all his men are. And they're pissed off about the rocket splashing down and they're ready to kill people, but Hummel isn't because he's not a monster. Yeah, the the two guys that he brought in that he never worked with before were like really gung ho on killing people. Mm-hmm. They want the money. Like they were, yeah, they didn't give a fuck. Like we're mercenaries, and mercenaries get paid. <laughs> Tony Todd, he might have even taken his sunglasses off to say that line. I think he did. I think. Why well, doesn't he have his sunglasses? It's not even light out. <laughs> He's you're indoors in, most of the time. You're inside, and the lights don't work. <laughs> Yeah. I guess um, that's how you know he's a badass. So there's a bit of a mutiny, and Goodspeed and Mason witness said mutiny, and there's a bit of a gunfight that ensues, which a bunch of the men die, and Hummel is mortally wounded. Yeah. But not before giving uh, the location of the last rockets to Goodspeed and Mason, to which they split up and try and get those last couple of rockets. To which uh, Goodspeed's dismantling one when Tony Todd confronts him. And the I have candy a little, man. Yeah, I have a little clip from that exchange. Come here. Come here, you little chickens. You shoot me, I drop this. We're both dead. Oh, come on. Come on, don't be scared. I'm going to put you. Come on. You know how this shit works? You know how this shit works? Come on. I think we got started off on the wrong foot. Stand good speed, FBI. Uh, let's talk music. Do you like the Elton John song Rocket Man? I don't like soft ass shit. Oh, you. Oh, oh. Well, I only bring it up because uh, it's you. You're the Rocket Man. finally swore then he gets impaled on a fence post or something yeah he's right on the outside Tony of the Todd, oh, he's getting stuff coming out of his chest <laughs> <laughs> got the killer lines in here That's, i love that line though it'll look soft ass shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah that might that clip that mini clip might be making a return appearance on the show <laughs> as we're describing certain things i think uh that could get a lot of use yeah around here yeah that was a pretty cool scene he launched the rock the rocket into tony todd's chest knocks him through the lighthouse window and Mm -hmm. boom on the fence post right through his chest and then it's pretty much down to one guy because uh mason went up to take out kind of a sniper's he had like a 50 cal or something no he had no he had a sniper rifle that's right and Mason takes him out. Just flips him over the the wall. <laughs> yeah. So it's one man. It's it's the, what's his face? It's, uh, I, I always forget his always, name. Yeah. It's a he had that weird name dude. that I read. A little short dude. Let me. Uh, he has a weird that. name. Throughout the last rocket and Cage gets the chip and hides some of the VX poison gas. But he has one ball of VX poison gas that he puts in his breast pocket it's captain fry captain fry what's his played by gregory Sporletter. yeah it was like well, how do you say that last name <laughs> yeah, something like that so he had a bit of a napoleon complex i think yeah 
So they're wrestling around, fighting in the, as you point out, you know, the VX poison gas doesn't break in his chest. <laughs> Although I think he does a pretty good job of protecting himself. But probably the most badass part of the whole movie. Yeah. Is caged on the bottom. He takes that ball out, puts it in his mouth, punches the guy, and then rolls poof. over. Yeah, and then he takes out that huge syringe and stabs himself in the heart. What was funny to me about that is how low in his uh, in his torso that he stuck the needle. It's like b- below his rib cage. Um, it's so low. Like mm-hmm. man, I don't think that's just where more you're... centrally located. <laughs> like I don't think that's where your heart is. I think it's in your rib cage somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I know when he's laying there, it does. It looks like it's about where his heart would be. Like when he's uh, when he's like kind of convulsing a little bit. It looked like it was like more in the spleen region. <laughs> in any case. Um, he then, uh, w- once he kind of gets his bearings back somewhat, he gets the flares out of his pocket because that was the, the signal that it was an all-clear sign if they saw green smoke. Yeah. And at the same time, the government had authorized the uh, liquid, was it, uh, pl- uh, what, plasma? I've already forgotten. Therm- no, thermal, thermite. Yeah, thermal plasma. Thermite plasma? Fuck. Whatever. <laughs> I think it's thermite plasma. But then they do the Michael Bay shot of him with the the flares mm-hmm. That's on his knees. It's like the platoon shot, only they do the 360 rotating <laughs> camera shot in slow motion. Yeah. And the spotters see the smoke, but not before one bomb is dropped. Yeah. But it's on the back of the island. But Cage is thrown like 100 yards into the ocean. <laughs> right? I, I don't know how he, how he didn't die because it landed like right behind him. Why didn't he get vaporized? <laughs> it landed right behind him. So Mason swims out there and uh, saves him. And then uh, Cage tells him that Womack had tore up his pardon. So he lets Mason head off, or no, right. take off. But he gets on the, the radio right away. And uh, they say, good speed. How are the, the hostages? He's like, everybody's alive. Well, how do you know? You haven't been back there in a long time, buddy. Plus does, they just, I, I think he does say the bombs hit on the back of the island. Yeah, but I still don't know how he can say with confidence that nobody has been harmed. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it didn't hit the main building where all the, it was only 81, they're in one little confined area in the one part of the prison. Right, but even if they didn't die from the missile, like, how does he know? This movie is already two hours and 16 minutes. We don't have time for him to run down there and check, okay? (laughs) (laughs) For plot purposes, let's keep it rolling. This thing is breakneck speed, fast pace. I think that's a plot hole, though. (laughs) I'm not saying he has to go check, but he he should have less confidence in his answer. Mm -hmm. Or they should just be like, okay, he's just delirious from this whole experience and we should go check ourselves yeah the one uh, plot hole that jason didn't care for he was talking to me today before he said he couldn't show up <laughs> <laughs> he was like you know what bothered me when i was watching it is when he gets in the ferrari yeah and he punches it he puts it in the third gear he goes that, that car's in third gear when he takes off <laughs> like like what <laughs> are you sure it wasn't in first like you know because a lot of you know it's almost like a snake shifter you know probably 
He goes, and then like nobody on set thought that it was weird that he was going to take off in third gear. And I was like, well, nigga, he's just doing it for dramatic effect. He's right. just punching yeah. it, you know, acting like it's in first. But yeah, so think... that was Jason's problem with the movie. Did he himself figure that out, or well, he had to? Have... Did he have to read about that? <laughs> Because I, I didn't, I didn't read about that. That is a WTM exclusive, <laughs> I believe. I don't think anyone else has figured out the, the third gear controversy of the Ferrari. I don't, I don't know. I didn't notice that. Then again, I don't drive manual shift cars. Yeah. So. Yeah, I hear you. Didn't care. Immaterial. Yeah. I cared uh, more about the the hostages and whether or not. They actually were alive. Yeah, I was like, that's where the suspension of disbelief kicks in for you? Well... Or cuts out, I should say? I won't say that that I... Uh... No, I'm talking about the gear. The oh, third gear, the for third Jason. Gear. I was oh, like, that's... Jason, yeah. That's what you picked out of this... Right? <laughs> super realistic movie. That chase scene was awesome, though. I don't care. Yeah. Um, so we just have one last clip here. This is when <laughs> they're talking to uh, Goodspeed, trying to figure out what happened to Mason. Yep. Congratulations, Dr. Goodspeed. You did it. Thank you, sir. You know, for a while there, I didn't think you were going to make it. Well done, son. So where's Mason? Vaporized. Blown out to sea. Blown out to sea, huh? Yeah. Poor bastard. Where's Mason? Where's his body? I want to see that son of a bitch. Vaporized, sir. Excuse me, gentlemen. What? Vaporized? A body can vaporize? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, sir. Oh, sure. (laughs) Sure it can. And these people are high-ranking officials in the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) He's vaporized? Oh, yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> You've never heard of a body being vaporized? <laughs> Happens all the time. Um, let's talk a little more about the exaggerated nature of some of the aspects of this movie. Uh, what did you find out about VX poison gas? Because when Nicolas Cage is describing it to Mason, he's talking about how you know, you're you spasm some so hard you'll back will break, but that's after your skin melts off and whatnot. Yeah, that's your skin doesn't melt. The skin melting is bullshit. Um, I know you also they wouldn't they don't put that VX poison gas in like those glass beads. They wouldn't. I know they wouldn't yeah. use glass. Yeah, it says it's amber like color. So in the movie it was green. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, it's a nerve agent. Uh, fatalities occur with exposure to tens of milligram quantities via inhalation or absor- absorption through skin. Uh, thus, it's more potent than sarin, another na- nerve agent with similar mechanism of action. Uh, so, on such exposure, these agents severely disrupt the body's signaling behind between the nervous and muscular systems leading to a prolonged neuromuscular blockade, flaccid uh, paralysis of all the muscles in the body, including the diaphragm, and death by asphyxiation. So basically it just shuts down all your muscle 
movement, if, or mm-hmm. whatever, however you want to say that. Basically, your your body just shuts down and you stop breathing. Yep. And I'm sure maybe it produces some side effects, like maybe spasming, and yeah, they kind of you know they play it up for the for the movie for dramatic effect. Um, yeah, it says the. Uh, Here's a fun fact. The antidote is usually uh, instead of uh, injecting into your heart, it's just an injection to the thigh or other muscle of a combination of atropine, which they use in the movie, and pralidoxime. Hmm. So it's a bit of artistic license. (laughs) (laughs) So. But yeah, um, VX stands for um, Venomous Agent X. Venomous Agent X is what VX apparently stands for. Venus, Venomous Agent X? Yeah. It's one That's of the funny. best known of the V nerve agents. Oh, the Vs. Wi- says Wikipedia. Love the Vs. <laughs> so maybe there's a V, A, B, C, D, E, F. Etc. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something I was reading on through Wikipedia here. I found this pretty interesting. Here's a fun fact. This movie has something to do with the war in Iraq, apparently. A scene from the film featuring Connery and Cage was the basis for incorrect and false descriptions of the Iraqi chemical weapons program. Britain's uh, secret intelligence service was led to believe Saddam Hussein was continuing to produce weapons of mass destruction by a false agent who based his reports on the Hollywood action movie, uh, according to the Chilcot Inquiry. In September 2002, MI6 chief Sir Richard Dearlove said the agency had acquired information from a new source revealing that Iraq was stepping up production of chemical and biological warfare agents. The source, who said to have direct access claimed senior staff were working seven days a week while the regime was concentrating a great deal of effort on the production of anthrax. Sir Richard told the chairman of the Joint Intelligence Committee, Sir John Scarlett, that they were on the edge of a significant intel breakthrough, which could be the key to unlock Iraq's CBW program. However, questions were raised about the agent's claims when it was noticed his description bore a striking resemblance to a scene from the movie. It was pointed out that glass containers were not typically used in chemical munitions and that a popular movie, The Rock, had inaccurately depicted nerve agents being carried in glass beads or spheres, the Chilcot report stated. Uh, By February 03, a month before the invasion of Iraq, MI6 concluded that their source had been lying over a period of time but failed to inform number uh, no 10 or others, which doesn't really make sense to me, even though Tony Blair had been briefed on his intelligence. Uh, film's co-writer David Weisberg said, what was so amazing was anybody in the poison gas community would immediately know that this was total bullshit. Such obvious bullshit. <laughs> Weisberg said he was... Uh, Unsurprised, a desperate agent might resort to movies for inspiration, but dismayed that authorities, quote, didn't do apparently the most basic fact-checking or vetting of the information. If you just ask a chemical weapons expert, 
It would have been immediately obvious it was ludicrous. Weisberg said he'd had some funny emails after Wednesday's report, uh, but he felt it's not a nice legacy for the film. It's tragic that we went to war, he concluded. So, yeah, I thought this was funny that this kind of touched on the WMDs and Iraq thing, but for the British. And uh, in the movie, too, they... It's kind of one of those, I, mean, I don't know if it's one of the first that I noticed, but uh, one of the, one of the uh, movies where no negotiating with terrorists was a main theme, mm-hmm. and that was also big. Uh, in fact, they say we're at war with terror yeah. in the movie, and that was a big theme after 9-11 in real-world events. Yeah. And so you can kind of see with what you just read and with that type of thing, how much influence this movie may have had on the, those wars that happened after nine 11. Yep. Indirectly if, if anything, but yeah, obviously not the intention of the filmmaker. <laughs> uh, you have any other fun facts that are of note? Hey everybody, here's some fun facts. So, uh, when they're filming the movie, they they would boat the uh, the cast and crew back and forth from the island on the uh, tourist ships, but uh, Sean Connery said fuck that, so they had him. Uh, he had them build him a uh, a cabin on the island, so he didn't have to commute back and forth every day. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is kind of badass. Um, they premiered the movie in the uh, Alcatraz. Uh, prison recreation yard, which would have been pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Michael Bay's favorite movie of his own says IMDb. Hundred thirty nine out of one hundred forty one people thought that was interesting. That Michael Bay says it's his own favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw one here um, allegedly. Yeah. Uh, aside from the obvious reference to Sir Elton John's Rocket Man. There is another more subtle astronaut-themed reference. Major Baxter's first name is Tom, hence Major Tom, the ill-fated astronaut from David Bowie's Space Oddity. (laughs) I thought this story was funny. Uh, Three weeks into shooting, uh, Williams Forsyth went to uh, the uh, craft services to get a hot dog, (laughs) and the, the lady working there says, not for extras. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so he had to get somebody to come in and vouch for him that he's in the main cast. Was Forsyth? William like, Forsyth. Uh, yeah. Three weeks into filming, and <laughs> he says, uh, man, if they can't eat hot dogs, what are the extras getting today? He's like, he had been in a number of bigger movies by then. He yeah. was in, I think he was in Dick Tracy, but he was in Raising Arizona. He was in Once Upon a Time in America. What else was he in? But I don't know if that uh, that craft services employee was there the whole three weeks that Forsyth was there, but that's a little embarrassing. When Jones and I met him at uh, Crypticon a couple years ago, he's a pretty cool dude. Nice guy. Because I loved his character in uh, Devil's Rejects. He's awesome as the sheriff. Oh, yeah. That's a great movie. Yeah, even in continuing with Forsyth, they even make references to his own work in the movie. Uh, in that scene in which Paxton demands to know from Womack who Mason is, Paxton utters, 
Yeah, I know all the Cloak and Dagger stories. This was a direct reference to Forsyth's earlier film, Cloak and Dagger. So he literally calls out his own movie. Right. <laughs> That's good marketing if people catch on to it. Mm-hmm. That's half the reason why you, you write movies, so you can just do sneaky references to other things. Average shot length is 2.6 seconds. The median shot length is 2.5 seconds. Mm. That means there's about 2,900 shots. Yep, I can see it. I think for a typical movie, there's typically 2,000 cuts. So this is, what, 2,900, you said? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely, like you said, it's very fast-paced, very kind of kinetic filmmaking. Not as quick as, like, Tony Scott, or at least later Tony Scott, like Domino and right. uh, Man on Fire, where everything's, like, <laughs> a second long. But, yeah, it's pretty quick editing, which was still pretty, still pretty revolutionary at the time, yeah. or at least new at the time. Well, speaking of Tony Scott, he was uh, apparently originally supposed to direct The Rock, but uh, he turned it down to direct The Fan. <laughs> Huge success. <laughs> Good choice. Well, you know, what are you going to I mean, do? well, you know, we love some of Tony Scott's early work there, though I, I can't be certain that The Rock would have turned out, you know, just as good if he would have helmed it. Maybe it would have, maybe not. Yeah, I don't know, because he kind of really, like you mentioned his later movies, he really kind of changed his directing style. Because mm-hmm. um, True Romance wasn't really cut, cut, cut. He let some scenes breathe. Yeah, it was it was pretty straightforward. I I don't I don't know what all he did, but yeah, Man on Fire was probably the first one I saw that he had that style where it was. Uh, really stylized and Mm -hmm. a lot of quick cuts and overlaying with uh different filters i don't not necessarily filters but like um special visual effects on the yeah it could have been some filter stuff because i think he does that in domino yeah or he would like put subtitles up there but it would be of english dialogue in english (laughs) for emphasis makes you think but uh yeah, I don't know if uh, if in 1996, if Tony Scott would have been uh, doing that kind of style um, that Michael Bay brought to this movie. Yeah. Uh, I think that'll about do it. Anything else you want to add? No. I was just, uh, I was surprised at how good it was. Yeah. Considering kind of the... Um, well, it's Michael Bay. You're like, well... <laughs> yeah, kind of the resume that that Michael Bay and Nicolas Cage specifically have built since then. Well, I I've always and will always love Nicolas Cage, but yeah. you not so much. I I tend to stray away from his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's something that I I kind of am interested in and I see he's in there, I'd be less inclined to watch it. Yeah, but um, yeah, this one. It was right in Michael Bay's early years when he was, uh, you know, still young and hungry and mm-hmm. not, you know, overpaid and just racking in money just because people pay him. Yeah. Did a pretty good job. 
Yeah, I think this is a perfect example of like a great 90s action movie. You know, there's several of them, and this is one of them. You know, talk about True Lies and The Matrix and yeah. movies like that. You know, Face Off, Con Air to varying degrees. Con Air is more of just a a happy disaster. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that one is so cheesy. Yeah. Nicolas Cage doing that southern accent. Right. But you got so many people, you know, he's not the only one chewing up the scenery. You got John Malkovich doing it. It's like so many people are just competing for screen time. Isn't Dave Chappelle in there too? Yep. Yeah. But he, he dies like a third of the way in. Yeah. So kind of early. But yeah. Um, yeah, this is peak cage, peak 90s action. Mm-hmm. We suggest, well, we hope you've already seen it by listening to this, but watch it again. It's a lot of fun. It holds up, and don't let the Michael Bay scare you. Yeah. But other than that, um, like I said, we'll be doing a, easier, a breakdown of Easy Rider next week. Week after, we might do a, another recently seen and maybe a news ep. And then after that, we'll be doing uh, Scarface. And then not sure after that. We'll, we'll definitely transition in the horror movies with uh, The Burning. But uh, other than that, please rate and review. Subscribe on iTunes and or Stitcher. You can check out our website at WTMWatchThisMovie.com. Email us at WatchThisMovie at Yahoo.com. And follow us on Twitter at WatchThis underscore movie. Other than that, we will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. (laughs) Hey, man, you're off my case.